0: On this episode, I am really privileged to have here in the studio with me Mike Thompson and Kat Downs of the band Sit, Kitty, Sit, a hard piano rock duo uh, currently in Menasha, Wisconsin, but just moved back here from California. So welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you for having it us. It is our pleasure, truly <laughs> our pleasure. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about what, okay, first I want to I want you to describe to me what hard piano rock is.
1: It's like angry Beethoven with progressive drumming and loud bluesy vocals.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's about sums it up. I love it. And I would agree. Yeah. After recently hearing you live, mm-hmm. I would agree. Thank you. And it's and you know what? And I, um, I'm a classical musician myself, and I would agree with the angry Beethoven part because it is ve- like you're very much classically trained. I yes. can tell. Uh, it's not just like you know power chords on piano. It's it's like it's real playing. It's a, and and even the percussion too. It's like
2: yeah, yeah, oh yeah. It's a very a percussive band,
1: yeah. Well, it's it is, very yeah, it's, there's a lot of um, what am my intricacies? We, we try to put a lot of intricacies in it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's the part where that always made me think of Beethoven, where it's like yeah. he's having the worst day you've ever heard, but also playing things at Mach three.
0: Yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's so funny. But no, it's so good. And, you know, one of the reasons I uh, I really wanted to get you on the show right away, because after we did that event a couple, well, not even a week, two weeks ago, a week ago,
3: week
0: in, a day. Uh, in yeah. Green Bay, I, um, you know, that was really my first introduction live to you. Uh, we only recently met online, or, you know, through just getting involved in Wisconsin music. And, uh, it, you know, I, I loved how you had such a following there. Like, I was really concerned about that event. I was like, okay, this is the first time we're trying an event in Green Bay. And this is the first time I'm working with this duo. And it's the first time trying an indoor event since COVID. Mm-hmm. A lot of firsts. All these things. <laughs> I'm like, this is not going to go well. And then all of a sudden, you like, you had, like, you over like we had to tell people not to come. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> because we essentially sold out, you know, the show by, you know, based on covid capacity and everything. Um and you just have a, a great following and people coming from all over. You mm-hmm. had a super fan from Delaware there yep. and we're in Wisconsin in <laughs> yeah. Green Bay, Wisconsin. So, I mean, can you first start off by telling me a little bit about um about how Sit Kitty Sit uh formed and and your following? Oh sure.
1: Um, so we started in um, on May, 4th in 2010. May the fourth in two thousand ten. you. Uh, mm-hmm. that was before May the fourth, be with you, was even a thing. So and um, we were pre that. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, but yeah. So um, we initially, uh, well, we started. We founded it in San Francisco. We. Um, it was kind of a weird way to go about things because we weren't really planning on being like a band per se. It was more like a musical project that I was working on that I asked Mike to play some tunes on. I was, I was working on a completely different album and he was only supposed to be on one song and we recorded that. And it worked so well that we like weirded each other out and then we kind of didn't talk for almost a year. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I, I was realizing as I was trying to put together like more stuff to do, uh, I was mostly a, a solo artist back then. I was realizing like, I was like, you know, overall my, my writing is kind of percussive and I think it would work well with this just piano and drum situation. So we started working on a couple other songs together. We decided to record an EP. We still hadn't played one show. Mm-hmm. We recorded an EP And then um, Mike was already, uh, he was in a bunch of other bands and was pretty well-connected, so he put Feelers out and got us. um, Our first show was actually, you want to talk about it? Yeah.
2: Well, I should say that we, how we met was through um, a mutual friend of ours. I was in a band already, another band, Mm -hmm. and we were doing an album, uh, and we needed some keys on one song. And the singer uh, for that band that I was in, also new cat so mm-hmm. recruited her to come play for us um for a day and that's how we actually met met mm-hmm. um i believe and then uh from there months after when yeah, you were doing up, really. your that one track my album, you yeah. had she had another drummer that was slated mm-hmm. to play
0: mm-hmm. and he
2: couldn't do it um kind at of the last at the last minute
0: ah, he canceled that's last always minute. Fine.
2: so <clears throat> <laughs> so yeah initially i wasn't even supposed to be yeah. you know doing this but of course you know she came and helped us i'm happy to go and help her and um i don't even think we rehearsed that song together i think i just did it on my own and then we showed up at the studio yep that's
1: exactly what happened so
2: she sent me the track and i just went on my own and rehearsed it and uh it was just it's a crazy proggy <laughs> and it's really crazy
1: yeah the song's called the push it's, it's called the push it's also the title track of our first ep um, yeah. yeah and it's
2: it's really wild and i loved it and i was like wow this is really cool so, because it just was something I'd not really done before. Yeah. M- mainly, I was doing a lot of like more like blues rock and old kind of like southern rock stuff. Sure. And this was a chance to kind of do something different. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, yeah, um, showed up at the studio and it all just kind of just came together. Yeah. And um, And then, so, and then after a few months after that,
1: is when we recorded the EP, is yeah, and that's when we it was after the EP was already done that we started mm-hmm. booking a couple of shows. And yeah. honestly, like, um,
2: any show we hadn't any, played, we would take any... anything, we would take anything. So, yeah, our release, our EP release yeah, show was
1: at the Bottom of the Hill
2: in San Francisco. Which is,
1: that's a fairly well, it's a pretty famous venue, mm-hmm. and you usually kind of had to work your way up the food chain to play there. And mm-hmm. we just happened to land. Like I don't even remember. It was like some connection to someone. We knew somebody who knew somebody, and yeah. we got the opening slot on this other band who was also releasing a record right. that day. So it was also packed. Yeah. Wow. And we were like, that we was like, our first This show. is a good omen. Like if this is the first That's show, and that was amazing. the first show we ever played. And <laughs> the we were, <laughs> the we, release show was yeah, the very first show we ever played, <laughs> and um, we barely had thirty <laughs> minutes worth of. All we had was were the what five, five, so, five, five the five songs five, on the yeah. EP. Oh, wow. So we had to stretch it. We had to stretch it out. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I, so that was in 2010. In 2000. 13 is when we started trying to tour. So like we were playing around the Bay Area and the music scene in the Bay Area at that time was really, really great, but it was also highly competitive. Um, It was really hard to get into good venues. And that was when the venue started doing the thing where like, yeah, we'll reserve you the spot, but you have to find all the other bands. And we're taking Mm. a cut of the door and we're not doing any of the advertising. Mm. So it was really a challenge and we were really struggling. And a lot of venues were still having a hard time with us because, excuse me, they would they would look at our kind of our overall look. And then maybe they would listen to us or they wouldn't. Mm -hmm. And they would think that that we were going to be kind of folksy. Or they would be like, well, I don't know what to pair you with, or we don't, you know, it, we were just really struggling with, like, anyone giving us a chance, mm-hmm. really. And so we'd heard from a lot of other musicians that we knew, it's like, we have to get out, just leave the Bay Area. Leave the Bay mm-hmm. Area, go play somewhere else. So finally, we, um, we uh, Mike, Mike got a van, yep. and we booked a first weekend through a mutual friend. We booked, a, like, a weekend of shows in the Reno area. And drove to Reno, and that that was where our super fans
0: started. Oh, nice! Yeah,
1: so it was. I mean, because the the cool part about the Bay Area, the Bay Area is like trend setting. Um, and I'm extraordinary, like, especially San Francisco. I love, love, love like huge place in my heart. Love so many people there, but there's also kind of this like the cool factor. Like even if you like are seeing something you like, you don't really like freak out about it, man. You have to be like (laughs) cool about it. So it is very challenging to get like a really solid following there unless you're a party band or like something like that. It's really, it's, it's challenging. So when we went out to Reno, we had obviously zero expectation. We're like, we're just gonna go play these shows, whatever. We're playing our first show at this dive bar that's made out of mobile home parts what um the it had a, like wall to wall up wall carpeting like an old 70s place um, because we're in Nevada the bar had the built in like um
3: bar
2: and bar <laughs> in verde oh, the bar and
1: bar in, in verde yeah, mm-hmm. it, it had like the what is it the slot machines like yep. in the bar like nice. all over Nevada they yeah, all have them right. um pool table in the middle of yeah. whatever we're playing on the floor in front of an unlit fireplace <laughs> and Again, we're like, well, this—it looks like a motorcycle bar, so we're like, we're, again, no, no, no expectations at all. We played, what was it, one song?
3: Uh, yeah.
2: And I, everybody I believe...
1: was up against the bar, which is on the far side, like basically as far away from us as you could get. We played one song and hit the final chord, and everyone went, Rah! and like, bum rushed us, and they were like slam dancing for the rest of our set. And after. I think we opened
2: with My Beloved.
1: We might have <laughs> by the time t- we were done i had i'm not even joking i had eight cocktails next to my chair <laughs> oh my god and then the strangest thing happened which turned out to be the first time that this happened many 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 times is that people had such an ex- intense experience that they would feel like they needed to reciprocate in some way so after we would play a set you know you end up in a, in a corner having a conversation with someone I mean, they're like confessing things, telling deep dark secrets, like, wow. like you know, holding your hands and like really like making this amazing connection and whatever. And then when we, it, it was really intense and beautiful and fantastic and we still are in contact with uh, most of those people to this day. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then when we finally got in the van to head back to the motel, I think we waited until we were like a mile or so away before we said anything and we both just like lost our minds. Yeah, we like, were like, what, what the, the
3: hell was that? <laughs>
1: And honestly, that was kind of our first taste of what music how music can, can really genuinely connect with people and and that's what makes super fans and we ran into that over and over and over and over again and that's that's why we have the following we do is mostly because of the live
0: shows yeah. and the the one-on-one interactions we end up having with them afterwards. Yeah. yeah what do you think it is about your music and your live shows? That, it's
2: strange that... that it's it's the live show. I mean, I'm extremely proud of all of our albums or recordings. You know, I think they're all great; they all stand on their own. Um, and I just don't know why it doesn't seem to translate mm-hmm. um, like our live shows do. I, I, I don't. I think a lot of times when people are listening to any of our recordings, they're not really sure what they're listening to.
1: I would second that. Mm-hmm. You yeah.
2: know what I mean? It's like there are many songs that we have that have guest artists on them, you Mm -hmm. know, guitars, bass, violin, orchestra, whatever. But mainly, mostly, it's just the two of us. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean, listening to it, you wouldn't really know if you didn't know who we were. You know, Mm -hmm. if you were just listening to us for the first time out of nowhere, you wouldn't really know that it's just piano and drums a lot of the time.
1: No, it is. It's a little deceiving It's
2: deceiving that way. and, And so I think seeing it visually live and seeing how much noise we actually create as two mm-hmm. people um when we when we can really let loose i think is really what what the catch is mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's 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 really strange it's kind of a bummer because i love our albums yeah. and i wish that like it did translate and we try to we we pretty much play everything live in the studio yeah. you know when we record so trying to get that same energy but without a crowd it's
3: mm-hmm.
2: a little different you yeah. know so I just think it's it's the visual experience of seeing you know two people who are sitting down, you know I mean there's no no mm-hmm. lead singer that's strutting al- across the stage or mm-hmm. you know hyping up the audience or guitar mm-hmm. players doing crazy things. We're kind of locked in, yeah, and so it's really like you really just got to all you have is the music to focus on.
0: Yeah, I mean,
2: right. you know I mean we we flail about <laughs> on stage, you know, <laughs> but only to an extent, you know. It, so it's really, really got to listen to the music and what's going on, you know, unless there's a projector or something behind us. But I just think that's what really brings people, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the uh, to our yeah. energy. Yeah. And the, um,
1: what I've, and this, this is not something I, uh, conclusion I ever came to it, it's just from, you know, people sharing it with me over the years, is that the songs that people are connecting to the most are the songs that I was the most scared to play. Hmm. So, like, off of our last album, Tectonic, the song Paper Doll is about um, feeling suicidal Mm -hmm. because I I have depression with suicidal tendencies and Mm -hmm. anxiety. And I went through a really bad patch um, before we recorded that album, and so I created this song. The lyrics aren't necessarily about being suicidal, but the overall energy of the song and, like, where the melody goes and everything, for me, it captures what it feels like for me Mm -hmm. to be suicidal. So I was... Really scared to not only put that on the record, but then to play it live because it's like super vulnerable mm-hmm. and personal. And I just found out like three people came up to me after that show in Green Bay, and they're like, "Did you know that's my favorite song?" And I was like, "I said, I'm like, what the what? <laughs> like, <I'm> like really?" <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's those songs. It's the ones that I was kind of the most scared of that have really, really connected with people. I had one um, fan who lives in Portland tell me that she always listened. To one particular sickity Sit song when she was on her way to therapy, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, 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 "Purge," mm-hmm. the song "Purge." I love um, that song.
2: Yeah, uh, my my favorite song to which play. Which is
1: actually, <laughs> it, and the funny part is, like she didn't know that, but it's actually about mm-hmm. going to therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't know that though. <laughs> oh, um, so yeah, so like just little things like that where you know it's the. Yeah, it's just it. There's something about I think the combination of seeing it and actually when we're playing live, I kind of love it when I make a mistake, Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden it's like I'll be like I'll just hit some honker of a note Mm -hmm. um, because there's nothing to cover me up, (laughs) (laughs) and I'll start laughing, and it's it's kind of like reminding everybody like yeah we're really doing this, it's really live, and like yeah that's you know I don't know I kind of like that myself, but I know Mike doesn't. Yeah.
2: Within reason, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It depends on the which honker you're hitting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well said. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Can you tell me more about your backgrounds in music and uh, you know where you grew up, where you started, sure. what you learned?
2: Uh-huh. Um, uh, sure. Well, I am from Westerly, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. um, born and raised. Uh, beautiful, beautiful town. I love it. Great, great people. Lots of. Um, musicians Mm -hmm. in the area really good musicians like in and around rhode island it's pretty crazy
1: there must be something in the water Um, (laughs) yeah
2: because whenever she would start coming around to the east coast you know when we would tour there or she would start to meet a lot of my friends you know between rhode island and boston it's she's just like what is going on here like everybody is really awesome like and i'm like i know it's really a really special place to grow up honestly um I you know I've been in bands since I was 15. I think it was the first band I joined in high school. Um, I started playing drums when I was 10. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad's a drummer, um, as well as uh, a couple cousins. My family are drummers, so drums are really kind of in the family.
0: Yeah, you're around it a lot. Yeah,
2: Yeah, and so he had a band. You know, when I was a little kid, and they would come over and play at the house. Mm -hmm. So there was a drum set downstairs. Mm -hmm. Since I can remember.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of music did your dad play?
2: He was uh, old classic rock, mm-hmm. you know, 60s, 70s, um, just all your, your standard, Allman Brothers, mm-hmm. Hendrix, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and they were kind of a s- similar band. Um, they did that. They did covers and originals, but mostly clas- classic mm-hmm. rocks. So when I I started kind of getting into it when I was eight and I, for like a month, and then I was like, nah, this is not for me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He's like, all right. And then a couple of years later, um, we were watching uh, pink floyd's delicate sound of thunder tour uh, on video in the in Nassau Bahamas and like that was the moment i was like cuz it's so unbelievable i mean if you haven't seen it check it out i think it was from, like 1989 or something but the light show the whole stage presence i was like what am i looking at here mm-hmm. and they had the two drummers going and we, i was just mesmerized and i was like the okay i think i want to get back into it he's like are you sure because last time you're just like i don't want to do it i was like no no let's do it this time he's like all right well then you have to go and take proper lessons because i'm not going to teach you i don't have the patience <laughs> <laughs> but plus he's like you know you need proper lessons i was like okay to which he signed me up uh with a phenomenal jazz drummer rock drummer his name is paul marcel also in rhode island and connecticut and I'll be forever grateful to him because he is responsible for who you are looking at okay. here today. Um, took private lessons, high school, joined the jazz band, marching band, orchestra, mm-hmm. went through all that, um, and then decided that, you know, after sports, I'm like, you know, I think I'm just going to stick with the music route.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and my high school teacher, Ted Collins, fin- fantastic bandmaster, unbelievable. He uh, also went to Berkeley College of Music, as where I ended up going. Uh, helped nice. me get in there and um, studied at Berkeley College of Music for all four years. Learned a lot about performing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and really got into more like jazz and like real blues, a lot of world music. Mm-hmm. Cause up to that point I was only playing like classical rock and metal, mm-hmm. you know? Like, you know, by the time I was 10, this was 89. So I was really into like the you know, mm-hmm. 80s metal you know what mm-hmm. i mean metallica Megadeth, like all those guys mm-hmm. um so i grew up playing all that with the classic rock stuff that my dad you know ingrained in me so that's all i was doing really and then in high school is really kind of where i got into jazz because of the jazz band but that was like big band mm-hmm. once i got to Berkeley, berkeley's really when like i kind of opened up my mind and my heart and just like just devoured everything because like most of the kids there you know are all from all over the country but all over the world it's a very like high international student population in berkeley and which is amazing because then you end up learning all this stuff from like all these people from all over the world that you know i'm not going to get in little westerly rhode island you know what i mean so i just you know in our dorm i think it was like two people or three people that were like kind of locals and the rest were all international students and and um i just learned a lot from them you know and vice versa you know we just so i just took all that in and it was it was great That's really cool. yeah and then um you know and then from there just started playing in bands all over the place relocated lived in austin for a while okay. um with my band and then Somehow made it out to the west coast. <laughs>
0: Somehow, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: So just lots of different bands, long yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's kind of my story. That's the long and short <laughs> of it. Okay. Yeah. Great. <laughs>
0: yeah, I love hearing that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, incredible drumming skills. I really, I mean, you can, you. I mean, both of you. I mean, it's just you can tell you're not the average musicians. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> so yeah, we try not to be. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Kat, how about yourself?
1: Uh, well, I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, my parents still live there, and part of the reason we mo- ended up moving back here. Um, and I, my mom played piano, so we had a piano in the house. Um, she mostly played. Classical, I mean, classical-ish, but she mostly played, like, church music. Because if she was going to be playing, she was, like, helping out with something at the church. Mm-hmm. So she was playing, she played a lot of hymns and stuff. But mostly I was fascinated with just uh, anything that made noise. I was mm-hmm. all about it. And um, they could not keep me off the piano. Mm-hmm. Drove my dad nuts. So they ended up even, like, buying me a toy organ when I was little. Like, oh, cool. super little to keep in my room. <laughs> So I could play with that, but sadly it turned out to be way louder than they thought it was, even on the quiet setting. So, um, <laughs> in short, so I started. I seem to mom... have
2: carried through in life. Yeah, I know. With you on that Oh keyboard. my God. All my mom That's said, where it started. All my mom said
1: to me the entire time I was practicing at home was, Stop pounding. <laughs> Catherine, stop pounding on the piano. And You're I'm like, It's like, my job now, mom. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, uh, so I started lessons when I was um, six. I was just about to turn wow. seven nice. um, and I was an extraordinarily bashful child and I really did not want to take lessons. I begged, begged my mom to just teach me herself because mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't like strangers. I didn't want to go to someone's house. I didn't want to do any of those things. And she was like, and I remember so clearly she's like, you won't listen to me. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm not teaching you this because mm-hmm. you won't listen to me. And you know, in retrospect, I'm like, Oh, that was probably the best decision mm-hmm. she ever made. Cause she's totally right. Um, So, yeah, so she took me to my teacher, uh, I believe she's still teaching now, Mary Sheffel on the east side of Green Bay. Um, Phenomenal teacher, did not specialize in one particular path. So she, I mean, hardcore classical, I did, you know, show tunes and boogies and jazz and all sorts of stuff. She taught ear training and theory and... um, they were There were these competitions... Oh, it's so foggy now. I don't remember what they were called, but they, they held them at UWGB. I remember going there for them. But it was a competition where you had to perform a solo, you had to perform certain scales and versions, arpeggios, mm-hmm. yada, yada. And then there was also a written theory test that was mm-hmm. all part of it, and then you'd get a certificate based on like how you did on mm-hmm. all of those things. Well, it turns out, and again, retrospect, those were like collegiate-level theory tests. It was insane. So I remember her, uh, Mary Sheffel's husband was a music teacher at, I think, I don't even, it's so fuzzy now, but like he, he anyway, I remember going to his classroom on a Saturday with like six or seven other of her students, and she used the chalkboard and was teaching us all this wow. like super complex music theory so that we could get through these tests, and so when I got to college at St. Norbert as a music major, I was well prepared.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. I was
1: very well prepared. Um Yeah, I always knew I wanted to do something in music, but being a performer was never even on my radar, (laughs) not even remotely. Like, I didn't... i Like, I went into the music education degree because the way they sold it was like, you know, you can perform with a teaching degree, but you can't teach with a performance Mm -hmm. degree. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I started the music ed program, and... um, Immediately, as soon as I went and like did some, you know, follow arounds at like local high schools and stuff, I was like, no, mm-hmm. this is not the job for me at all. Um, didn't really know what to do about it at that point. So anyway, I ended up graduating with just a basic
0: music music degree.
1: In- I have mm-hmm. a BA in music, and then I got married really young. Bad idea. <laughs> But that's what got me to California, because okay. my then husband got a job out there, and I had been teaching private lessons and whatnot around here. I was actually also the, um, I was the section leader for the Green Bay Youth and Chamber Youth Orchestras, okay. so I worked, and I worked with all the flautists. I was a classical okay. trained flautist as well. Um, so when I got out there in California, I was like, hey, I don't really feel like teaching anymore. Like, I'm going to try my hand at songwriting, because amazingly enough, even though I was a music major, they had never really had us write stuff because it was so classically based I think think we had to write one piece once or we would have to write like a 16 measure thing to prove Mm
0: -hmm. counterpoint
1: or something like
0: that very structural yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. so
1: I started to try and write on my own and I realized very quickly that everything that I wrote according to what I knew in music theory I hated I hated all of it it sounded like robotic pre-programmed bs and I like for a while I kind of threw my hands up and I had to think about it and I didn't really know what to do, and I mean, I got a couple songs out of me, but I didn't. They, I felt they were really just crappy, and um, finally, like, it took me years to fine-tune this, but I realized I was hearing stuff in my head, and it was turning off all that math-based music theory stuff, and then listening and copying what I was hearing in my head instead, which was a very slow process. But I'm, I'm much faster at it now, like, you know, all these years later. But, like, at first it was it was really, it was, like, pulling teeth, like, trying to get all this stuff down. And I had to invent all these weird ways to take notes and, like, all this stuff. And those were the songs that were really, like, when I'd finally get them out, A, I couldn't play them. <laughs> Which I was like, why do I constantly write stuff I can't play? And then I have to practice it in order to be able to play it. Um, And those were the songs, like, to me, were like, yes, like, I love these songs. Like, Mm -hmm. they're great. Also, because I didn't really feel like I was writing them. I just felt like I was writing them down. Mm -hmm. Like, something else was sticking them in my head, and I was just writing them down. Um, And now so now when I write, the song kind of comes out of my head onto the paper, and I have to figure out all the theory on the back end, Mm -hmm. which is not even remotely efficient, but Mm -hmm. it works for me. Mm -hmm. so, um, But, yeah, when I got to California... um, Mostly, like, like I said, I didn't really have a goal. I didn't really know what to do. So I was like, I'll just say yes. I'll just say yes to everything mm-hmm. until I don't have enough time to say yes to everything. And so I ended up meeting this group of women um, off of like, Craigslist, like social stuff. Yeah, that's There crazy. were like four of us that were like singer, singer-songwriter-esque. And we kind of made this little meeting group and we would get together every couple of months and share music with each other. We ended up putting on a showcase at one point, which was my first live show ever, Wow. Playing my own original music, um, I worked as a like a singer-songwriter a lot, and then just through all the women that I met in it was mostly women in that circle, they started asking me to like fill in for stuff or like hey can you play keys in my band yes can you do backups on my album yes like anything that anybody asked I just mm-hmm. said yes, mm-hmm. and that's how I ended up as the keyboardist and backup singer in Sparrow's Point, which is a theatrical heavy metal band. Nice. Um, and we opened for Wasp at the mm-hmm. House of Blues on Sunset, cool. um, <laughs> which was in its own way very entertaining. The band I was in when I met Mike was actually called uh, Saints of Ruin. Um, they are a goth rock band, very big in the vampire circuit. We used to <laughs> headline at the Anne Rice Vampire Ball in New Orleans every year, wow. which was super fun. Um, so yeah, that's what got like saying yes just led me to all those weird places yeah. and in a million years, I never would have guessed that this would be my job. But you ever. embraced it. Oh, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, corsets, black lipstick?
3: <laughs> yes, I
1: did.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love this. So, I mean, would you? Uh, is there anything that you would have said no to?
1: Um, I only ever really ended up saying no when I knew for a fact that the people who were involved in whatever project were really toxic and hard to mm. work with. That was really the only thing I tried to avoid or like maybe I had worked with them before mm-hmm. and it was not a pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the only thing I ever said no to. And then, I mean, eventually I ended up having to say no cause we were, we were just booked. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like that was otherwise, yeah. Any, anything like I remember I was at a wedding in Flagstaff when Margaret called me, Margaret Eichler uh, was the keyboardist and uh, is an amazing woman, a mentor of mine, like love her, love her. True Margaret is her, her mm-hmm. band and Goggy is her new project. Um, she called me when I was at this wedding and she's like, yeah, can you fill in for me? She's like, I'll teach you all the parts. You just have to dress goth and like sing back up. And she's like, yeah, it's like, it's like two shows in a weekend opening for Wasp. And I was like, the Wasp? And she's like, yeah, I'm like, wow, Blackie Lawless, what up? (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, so, yeah. And I was like, I didn't own any, like I mean, I, I had gotten rid of all my goth clothing when I left school, so like yeah. I had to go goth shopping, <laughs>
0: which is a great
1: problem to have. That sounds like fun.
0: <laughs> How cool. Mm. So I mean, you both uh, you both study music in at a higher level, mm-hmm. and then uh, you both I mean you decided to at, at some point after after a while you ended up starting sit Oh, by the way, I want to ask you before I forget the name I mean you, you've you got to get asked that oh, all, sure, all the time yeah. like,
1: it's making fun of me Yeah, it's making fun of me my friend uh, like up until this project I always played keys standing up um, and when we started playing this stuff I was like "It's this stuff is too complicated I'm not balancing on one leg to play this <laughs> so I started playing sitting down and that's when we discovered that my legs fly around I'm like i didn't know that like they, my legs fly around like my hair is whipping around and like all the stuff and my friend ida was making fun of me and she said sit kitty sit good kitty and mike was like <laughs> there it is
0: <sighs> there's the name it's mm-hmm. memorable mm-hmm. yeah it's mm-hmm. very easy to remember that's for sure and you got the url down mm-hmm. you know you got all the basics yeah mm-hmm. was that easy to do oh yeah that, yeah. that was yeah way there's... back in 2010 so yeah
2: all yeah, yeah. right yeah um, <clears throat> yeah it's pretty unique and um, i don't think uh there's a couple other like sit kitty type stuff now. Like not, Instagram-
1: it's not bands. Yeah. Though, it's not like yeah, music usually. or anything like that. Yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, I'd only ever seen you play standing up, or ever. I mean, you know what I mean. So like, mm. it just makes sense. <laughs> you know, it was kind of, and it's kind of, it's kind of playing that that old commercial. Remember uh, Ubu the dog? Sit Ubu sit. Oh, Good right, dog. right, right, at the end of so, Cheers. It, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's um,
2: funny. And uh, yeah, and you know you can't really train a cat really mm-hmm. to sit. I mean, I guess you could maybe. So like, that's also kind of a play yeah. on that. Yeah,
0: it's like,
1: yeah. It, it lens and they don't tell me what to do. Right, the right.
2: World. Yeah. So now a lot of our friends are like, the kitty will not sit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And uh, and you have been around uh, as a band for about a decade now. Yep. So what was it like in the early days? You know, When you first started, how did you get your grounding?
1: Um, Honestly, it was just a lot of trial and error. Yeah.
0: You know, like...
2: You know, it's funny. It's... She already had, like, a a considerable number of songs written, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, which to which I I just would take them and then kind of put drums to them, Mm -hmm. you know? um, And kind of arrange, rearrange the song a little. So it was a little bit more pop cohesive like, mm-hmm. I think you know more of like a structure um yeah you
1: know. I, I like one thing I, I do have to thank him for is like I was of again I think I kind of blame it on my classical upbringing mm-hmm. I was so prog mm-hmm. that I would come up with like some sick delicious riff and I'm like you get it one time that's it and he's like you can't do that I'm like yes we can and he's like no we're not doing yeah. that <laughs> um thank you sometimes that. we do
2: yeah. <laughs> most of the time you know um, so, you know, that's how we kind of started. We just took songs that she had already. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really start writing songs together or, like, from scratch for a little while after that. So, like, the first couple albums, well, I don't know, maybe Beautiful, Terrible. Did you already have most of those written? Yeah, those yeah, were mostly. Yeah, right. So, like, the first couple albums were just basically reworking her songs that she mm-hmm. had. Um, and then I would just add whatever drums I wanted to put on there and... So that kind of made things a little easier and, and figuring out like our sound,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, because the first song that we did, The Push, is just really, it's like mm-hmm. it's like a train going off the tracks. It's really wild um, and it's great, love it. But you know, as the more songs came in and stuff, okay, and then we d- we realized just how broad um, we can be genre-wise.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Because as we grow and, and where we're growing then, I mean we were having all sorts of different styles of music
3: mm-hmm. within
2: the songs which I think in part is also a reason why people people never knew how to market us.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, we'd have these, these like metal headbanging songs and we'd have like these pop pop sort of songs, some bluesy stuff. There's like some jazzy stuff in there. You know, which <clears throat> when we're trying to get gigs, you know, in the early days and stuff, kind of helps is you can kind of play anywhere. Mm-hmm. We were able to kind of tailor our set to Whatever the room we were playing, whatever the venue was, that helped a lot in Europe too. When we toured Europe, it's not really my preference. I don't really enjoy it um, because it's not true. Sit, sit, you know, sure. like playing cafes and stuff where I have to play brushes or be quiet in any sure. any way.
3: Yeah,
2: I do not enjoy. Um, yeah, yeah, because it's not the band, you know, yeah. the band yeah. you know, the true band. Yeah, you know, the true band is when we don't have to worry about
3: Being turning quiet.
2: down or yeah. Yeah. we can do whatever the hell we want. You know, and and, and that's really it. But I understand, you know, you got to compromise and make some sacrifices along the way. And that's fine. We have mm-hmm. a lot. Right. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so I'm really kind of tr- really trying to now direct the band, you know, to where we don't have to kind of make those compromises anymore. Being selective about venues. Yeah. You know, and who we play with, where we play. Um, you know, cause, I mean, we, we paid a lot of dues <laughs> over the years, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, many yeah. times over on the road and, you know, and so
0: what is, uh, what is one of the craziest road stories you have? <sighs> oh
2: Lord. Aside from that very first one. Oh my God. That, yeah,
0: that was, I mean, it's like, well, how do you
1: live up to that? Um,
2: I, that was uh, yeah a true awakening that, that um, <laughs> man, I, you know, we, we, we've, we've, been on the road a lot. Um, uh, Europe was just crazy in itself. It oh, was yeah. just amazing just to. Just to see, like, really the the difference in mm-hmm. the people and how they, you know, viewed, you know, independent bands and live music. And they were just, like, insatiable for it, yeah. really. Like, every it was just a different vibe, mm-hmm. you know, and a more appreciative vibe, I would say, overall. Not to say that,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, people here or our fans here are not. But I think in terms of people coming in not knowing anything about us, you know, off the street, mm-hmm. people would come in. You know, and check us out. You know, with no promotion or anything. Mm -hmm. It's different than here. You don't really get that Um, unless you know you're known or whatever.
0: Yeah. What parts of Europe were you in? We did uh, the Netherlands, Netherlands, France, Germany, and and the UK,
4: England. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And at what point in your career or in in your uh, in your band were you able to get touring like that? Uh, Like that. That that was was in 2015.
1: 2015 we Was did it? so we first started touring the states in no, 2013 really? yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, we first started touring the states in 2013 we did like one i think in 2012 we did like one weekend where we like flew and did like a couple of shows in like the boston
2: area mm-hmm. but yeah we, we would we were, fly to yeah, like we were... the pro- that's the other great thing about being in the midwest here is the location mm-hmm. you know we're centrally located now mm-hmm. so like when we can get back on the road like normal now we can go anywhere, yep. really.
1: Mm-hmm. And drive. And
2: drive. Yeah. So we'd always have, you know, anything past basically I-35 that splits the country,
3: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. we would have to fly anywhere and on east coast, southeast, southeast, you know. And it's just, yeah. because we couldn't go on the road for two months every time. Mm-hmm. So we would do, yeah. you know, six-week stretches where we would do a loop, like, from uh, San Francisco up north, either on 90 or on 80, basically – all the way to Chicago mm-hmm. to here, mm-hmm. and then loop back down on like 70 or something, mm-hmm. and just back up again. And that was kind of like our loop for a while. Or we'd go down to LA, hit across you know this, you know the south like uh, mm-hmm. Arizona and Mexico whatever, mm-hmm. Texas. Usually we would go to Texas for South by Southwest. Anything beyond that though, we'd have to fly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just too much. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've been I've been
1: yeah. che- I've been chewing on it while 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 Mike was talking. So like so okay so you're asking for like some interesting road stories. So we, we were on one tour where we had hired a booking agent to do it. And I think the booking agent was unaware of college close times Hmm. because we were literally hitting every town one week after college had let out (laughs) town after town after town yeah. wow. should have been and here so,
2: last week yeah That's exactly weird. everybody
1: everyone said it at every venue and be, so we ended up playing this place that looked like a renovated gas station i think was in M- missoula that was
2: in uh no, it bozeman was
1: bozeman bozeman montana fantastic there were, there were four guys and a bartender mm-hmm. wow they stayed that was it that was the whole crowd the whole night they stayed... It was a pretty sizable place, the too. Inti- yeah, it was huge. It was yeah. a huge venue yeah. with, like, literally five people. Amazing
2: venue. <laughs> filling uh, The filling station. Filling station, yeah. yes.
1: It was it, it, an awesome venue. Would love to go back. Yeah. But, yeah, it was... And we learned a long time ago that even if it's just the bartender, play your freaking heart yeah. out because that person could be a super fan. Right? You don't know. Exactly. You don't know. Or, or you don't know who they're connected to. You never know. Yeah. You <laughs> never <laughs> know. Yeah. So, like, one of the things we, we have run into, you know, if we're splitting the bill with someone, we weren't splitting the bill that night, I don't think. Um... But like you know, we, we've seen other bands be kind of like crabby and like kind of half-assed, and we're always like, "Bro, don't do it! Yes. Don't do it! You gotta play like you're in front of like a Hollywood producer mm-hmm. every every night." So we, yeah, five people in the bar. One one of them was a bartender. We played our hearts out. We walked out of there with over four hundred dollars. Those people they just they wow. bought all and of our merch, hearts. Yeah, they were merch literally shows. just throwing money at us. They were yeah. like, Here you go, here you go. We wow. love you guys. Thank you for being here. Sorry you missed college being with us. Yeah. Wow.
3: I know.
2: Well it, you know, it's fun it's with us, especially being a two piece and stuff, yeah. it's very easy to turn things on a dime and, and make decisions quickly. Yeah. You know, and just and and, and those kinds of shows like I, I love cause like it's there's not, there's no stress, like, big shows, with lots of people, the nerves are, you know, high, n- high more high. more sure. so, you know what I mean, and, you know, and that's pre-show, once we get started playing, that all goes away, but these kinds of shows, where it's like a couple people, and you know, a couple drunks and a bartender, and it's like, then it becomes almost like a rehearsal, you know, right. for us, and then we just get really goofy and wacky, and then it's like, <laughs> now we can kind of talk to the talk to them because it's just us and them. Mm-hmm. So now it's just a party, mm-hmm. you know, and we're just playing whatever the hell we want to play, you know, it's no set list, we'll just, you know, whatever. And so that ends up creating a really special experience for those two, three, four people in the audience, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like a private show. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. they're just like, I can't, you know, one guy's like, I can't believe so-and-so's missing this, He's so stupid, yeah. she came out, da-da-da, and like, you know, and we just have fun. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, that happened a lot.
1: <laughs> and it, especially initially, because like you yeah. know, it's like when you leave your when you leave your area you're familiar with, like no one knows who you are. Yeah, right. exactly. You know? And it was up to us to yeah. basically, and we, we would try to copy a route as well when we would go back out on the road again, because maybe the first time we played, there were only four people in the venue. Mm-hmm. But if we can turn two of those people into super fans, and mm-hmm. we would keep in touch with them, we, we're constantly talking to our fans mm-hmm. one on one. Mm-hmm. Like we have we have like offline conversations mm-hmm. with them all the time, and like if. If two of those people turn out to be people who, you know, friend the band, then they're going to bring more fans. Mm-hmm. So if we can get back there next year, mm-hmm. we're going to see our audiences start to grow. Exactly. And right. that was kind of what we were working on um, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, But, you know, it was it was, it was was extra difficult for us yeah. to do it, though, because the cost of living was so high sure. in San Francisco. Right. So being able to take off for a month and not have it, you know, hit you financially mm-hmm. was part of our issue, which is another
4: reason we moved on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. It can get really disheartening on the road when you, sh- you know, show up venue after venue and it's empty,
4: yeah.
2: you know, and like you just know it's like it's just going to be another quiet night. And mm-hmm.
1: but then but then there are those nights like was <clears throat> it the second time we played we played at the Knickerbocker in Rhode Island and um, a friend right. of Mike's, his mother, was doing a um, a scholarship uh, she was creating a scholarship for Berkeley for their was it for their summer. Camp? Uh,
2: for the summer Berkeley summer program. Yeah, the summer
1: program, yeah. and so she every year she was having these fundraisers, and we played we'd played one the year before, and it was kind of quiet, and then we had released a couple of music videos and whatever, and we'd worked that into our tour, so we were in Rhode Island to play that show as part of the tour. Now, I always would get ultra nervous at these, because most of the people at this show are Berkeley grads, and I just went to St. Norbert Mm -hmm. College, so Mm -hmm. I'm like...
2: Well, they're not Berkeley grads, they're just musicians, you know, and... and But they're really
3: good musicians. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mostly, it was,
2: this was in my hometown of Westerly, that that we had these. They're
1: freakishly good. It's a hometown hometown show.
2: Freakishly good, yeah.
1: So anyway, so I would get really, like, extra nervous, and so I remember for this show, there were a couple opening acts, and then it was our turn, and... Um, the bar, there's like, it's the kind of venue where there's like a big dance floor in front of the stage. And then there's a bar kind of like up a few steps. And most of the people were in the bar because it was between acts. And we started our song. And a lot of times I either play, I kind of play with my eyes closed a lot of the time because it helps me not get distracted. And, um, we're playing the song and I missed... That the whole crowd, which was like over two, easily over two hundred people, they'd all come down onto the dance floor and were right in front of the stage. And I was just like in my own little world, and I didn't even realize it. So when we hit the final chord, also very bright stage lights, right? So like, yeah, I, yeah. like when we hit the final chord, I was not expecting the <laughs> wall of sound that came. Like, I mean, everyone was just screaming their faces off at us. I almost literally fell off my seat. Like I like it scared me so bad that I kind of jumped and my butt hit just the very edge and I like had to catch myself on the cause I almost like went right on the floor. So there are those shows that make up for the ones that right. yeah. you know where it's like you know there's
0: three people in the venue
1: yeah. or whatever and, yeah. yeah but yep. i
0: think it's really important that you, what you were saying you know and your your perspective on just playing your heart out no matter what it is mm-hmm. because people realize that and they and they really value that mm-hmm. when they're the few people who get to experience right. that. they remember that and mm-hmm. resonate with that and Those, they will never, they'll follow you. exactly. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, honestly, there have been more than one show. I mean, I could probably think of five, even off the top of my head, where, yeah,
1: yeah, there were, like, a handful of people in the club, but the venue owner at the end came up and was like, that was amazing. I'm sorry there weren't more people here. Will you please come back? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, is, like, leaving those doors open Mm -hmm. and working with the venue owners and, you know, be on time, be professional, don't be a jerk, like, blah, 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 because it's like, you need... You, you need them more than they need mm-hmm. you. Yes. Let's be real. Yeah. There's you know? so,
0: like, yeah. yeah. so many times I've been in places where, you know, I see it's a smaller crowd. I see a live musician there. They're just hanging out at the bar because they don't, they, they think there's no one to play to. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so disappointing because it's like, you know, I even if it's not something that I'm involved with, I know I, I know that someone paid them to be there. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And, or they could be make, making some money. Tips, merch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, and that's it's, a big lost opportunity. You never know who you're playing for. You yeah, right? you, never really, know. you really don't. Right, right. And, and I'm taking note mentally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, Because I wouldn't want that to happen to sure. musicians I work with. So, mm-hmm. sure. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so let me ask you, what are some of the greatest lessons you learned along the way in your, in your doing music as a business?
2: Well, more to that mm-hmm. uh, point uh, that we were just discussing is mm-hmm. the professionalism and... Um, you know, what you what you put out, not just on stage, but, you know, as a business, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, when we're doing business with other clubs or promoters, like, you know, or mm-hmm. people like yourself, um, you know, the music can't always just do all the talking. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work like that when you're, when you have to also do the business, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's important, you know, to take you know, when you get off the stage, you carry yourself, you keep carrying yourself, you know, in a way that people want to work with you mm-hmm. because, you know, the days of the, the crazy rock star that can do whatever the hell they want and trash mm-hmm. rooms and do, but da, da, those are gone. You know, it doesn't, you can't do that anymore. I mean, well, <laughs> well, you.
1: he says with a note of sorrow in his um,
2: <laughs> or, you know, you can, but, you know, in, in, in private, I guess, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, yeah. Trash your own house, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think, you know, the lessons that we've learned is really especially um, how you conduct yourself with club owners or promoters or bookers. That is huge, 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 huge. Mm -hmm. Even if you're sharing, you know, the bill with bands that you don't really like or want to play with or if they're being, you know, jerks or, you know, if you're not vibing, fine. You don't have to play with them again. That's fine. But you want to play at that venue again. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's important. And it's great, you know, when you can meet other bands. Mm -hmm. And we have, God, Endless amounts of yes. musician friends that Amazing. we've shared the stage with that have become lifelong, you know, brothers and sisters, and we just love them all. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing is to leave a, a really good impression, you know, with with uh, bookers and promoters, I think. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Definitely. You know,
2: it's w- yeah. it one thing, one lesson.
1: Yeah, and then I would say, <laughs> well, there was one thing, and I was talking to you about this earlier, Allison, is that, um, you know, our philosophy had always been as long as we don't quit, we'll succeed.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think there is, you know, there is the seven-year itch. You know, you've been a band for five years, six years, seven years. You're not seeing the kind of, you know, growth that you had imagined in your head. And that's when a lot of bands quit. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it ourselves. Like, a lot of the bands that we started coming up with, a lot of them have either, you know, backed it down to, like, hobby level. Some of them have quit completely. Some of them are around but don't tour anymore. I mean, this is pre-pandemic, of course. Like, they don't, you know, they're not touring anymore or mm-hmm. whatever. A lot of people
2: start families. Yeah,
1: and, like, and, 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 and here we are, and we're, we're still at it, and yeah. we're... You know, and we, we, just, we just aren't going to quit. Yeah. Um, but along that line also, kind of with that philosophy that we are, you know, we're working on, there also comes kind of what I call a healthy cynicism that comes with it because a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of people... Especially in the well, I mean, in all industries, but in the music industry, where it's like, <clears throat> oh, you just have to meet this one person and then that's it, or like, <laughs> you just have to play this one show and then you've made it, or like, this is the thing that's going right. to bring you to the next level. We've what all that thought mean? that.
2: Every one of us has that thought mean? that. Yeah. Right. You're lucky break. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah,
1: yeah. Right. So. And sometimes it happens. I mean, lucky breaks do happen. And sometimes you know? it happens, but especially at the beginning, I would say probably within like the first like five six years that we were doing this, anytime one of those opportunities would present itself, I would be so. Excited, And I'd be like, you know, blah, blah. And of course, like nine times out of 10, they all fall through mm-hmm. or the person doesn't follow through with what they say they're going to do or blah, 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 blah. So now when something like that presents, I'm like, cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I've even had like friends of mine be like, aren't you excited? I'm like, no. <laughs>
2: I'll be excited when it happens. I will be excited when it happens. When it's
1: actively happening in Mm -hmm. the moment, that's when I'm excited about Mm -hmm. it. And that that I feel, you know, some people are like, oh, you've become so cynical. And I'm like, no, because it keeps me from being on the emotional roller coaster. It's just realistic. Yeah, it keeps me focused on what I'm, what's important to be focused on.
3: Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, and it's like if those things happen, then yay, frosting. And if they don't, Mm -hmm. then I'm no worse off than I was five Mm -hmm. five Mm -hmm. minutes ago. Mm -hmm. So that's the other part. You're here, (laughs)
0: yes. Agreed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, really good points. Um, and, and what kind of advice would you give to those looking to do music full-time right now as you are? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um,
2: so many have started in the pandemic yeah. to do music full-time. I mean, technology now as opposed to, you know, 10 years ago when we started.
3: Oh, yeah. It's vastly
2: different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, we try to keep up on it as much as we mm-hmm. may not want to. <laughs> but... Um, you know, I think it's just if you are really savvy with social media, then you're already a step ahead. <laughs> um, and, you know, live streaming and, and, and all that kind of stuff is huge now. Uh, and I think if you just, you know, play what, you know, you comes to you and is like the most, like the the real thing that you want to say, like, you know what I mean? Like for your, when you whenever you're putting yourself out there as an artist or a musician, unless you want to be like in a cover band, which is fine, Mm -hmm. you know, but if you're trying to be an independent original artist, um, you can't fake it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got to lay it all out there. That's what people want. You know, Mm -hmm. they want to see what's inside, you know? And so don't be afraid to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. really is what I would say. I mean, that's how you're going to connect with people, you know? And A lot of people think they're alone in a lot of things, a lot of thoughts, a lot of feelings. Oh, nobody else must feel like this. I'm a loner. No, you're not. Mm -hmm. First of all, get over yourself. (laughs) Second of all, (laughs) there are people out there that are going through the same thing. You know, and the more real that you can be, you know, even if you're just a beginning artist, it doesn't matter. Um, That's what's going to draw people in. You Mm -hmm. know, people will spot a poser Mm -hmm. right right, quickly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. So... don't waste your time with that, is what I would say. Yeah. You know, get get just lay it all out there. Because if you don't do it now, then it ain't ever going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and you might as well do it now instead of waiting. You know, being an artist for five years, kind of covering up who you really are, and then you get tired of that because mm-hmm. it's exhausting. And then you all of a sudden want to be who you really are, and then people will be like, well, where have you been all this time? Like, we've been <laughs> waiting for this. Right. So yeah. you're, you're just wasting your time, you know? So that's what i would say Right
4: nice.
0: yeah Anything?
4: um i would say
1: probably well the business side of it and i mean and i'm including like all the social media posts like the the making of the videos that you're going to be posting because i you know it's it is still difficult to mm-hmm. tour or play out right now in a mm-hmm. lot of places um So initially when you first get started, you know, it is mostly online Mm -hmm. until you're able to start booking some live shows. Um, And I can just say from, you know, from personal experience, Mm -hmm. all the business side, the social media, the video making, the editing of audio, it can get really overwhelming really quickly. And in the middle of all of that, and you're creating your to-do lists, and you're creating these schedules for yourself that no one is holding you to, by the way. (laughs) That's also a reminder for me later. (laughs) Um, No one else is holding you to these schedules except yourself. It's really important to remember that at the end of the day, it's about the music. Mm -hmm. Um, You can get so caught up in editing photos. You can get so caught up in editing videos. You can get so caught up in scheduling posts and yada, yada, that then you know, when you finally do book a show, you realize you haven't practiced in two weeks, mm-hmm. three weeks, you know, things like that, where it's like, it, oh, oh, yeah, and I also have to write songs. You know, yeah. one of those things, it's like the music almost ends up taking the back seat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would say for people that are starting out now, it's like, you know, work it into, you know, however you're organizing yourself, work it out so that you have two days a week where you don't have to be online at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you most most online, you know, social media they all have scheduling mm-hmm. the scheduling options now like facebook twitter whatever you can also like you know we use Hootsuite for some mm-hmm. of our stuff to schedule ahead of time you know schedule those days so you don't even have to like log in and look at stuff and leave that to your you know your writing and mm-hmm. leave that to remember why you're doing this and don't let all that that's all that kind of like that's like the confetti mm-hmm. you know is all the like let let the confetti fall and just like take a moment to like be with your art and do your art and remember why you're even doing this and like kind of catch your breath and then two days later you know you can pick it all back up and like get back out there with all the confetti again because it will it, it, still be there it'll still Wait, be there yeah. oh it's yeah. never leaving mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's that would be because that's something I've struggled with so that's something I
0: would yeah. recommend for sure for sure and your, your music tends to lean on like the Maybe would you call it darker side? Oh, or, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have, have you ever? Has that ever been a struggle for you trying to get into gigs and and things like that?
1: Not really. Um, we, you know, we've never had anyone like a, a like comment that you know we can't book this because you're too dark. Yeah. No. Um, and no, because honestly, a lot of, a lot of people enjoy yeah. dark music. And honestly, they a lot of a it. lot of our a lot of our like more active fan base. Mm-hmm. Are, they're actively goths, you know. Mm-hmm. So like we do, which I mean, I call myself goth on the inside because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, <laughs> very blonde. Um, so <laughs> so I'm like I'm goth on the inside and maybe not so goth on the outside. But um, um, but that that definitely is the resonance and that's something that speaks to me. And if my songs go a little lighter, they go lighter, like lighter beautiful yeah. instead of lighter happy. Yeah. And I don't. I don't know why, really. <laughs> yeah. That's just kind of what comes out of
4: me.
0: So I just ride the wave. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Awesome. And then um, you submitted a song to have us play at the end of the podcast here called Blood and Bones. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> so honestly, uh, that was a song that we wrote after a tour.
2: On uh, our way back. Yeah, yeah we, we, we were, were on our were... way
1: back from the East Coast, weren't we?
2: Um, no, we, we were... We were driving. Uh,
1: I don't, no, I mean, yeah, we were driving, but. We're, I don't
2: know that we. Have we ever,
1: were we playing gigs on the way? I think we might have been playing. I yeah, yeah, we They were, all blend together after a while. But anyway, for whatever reason, that, it was summer. It was yeah, summerish. Something like that. So we were headed back to California. On I-80. Okay. And yeah. for whatever reason, there had just been an obscene amount of, like, deer and elk accidents.
2: Well, this and, was in Nevada. Well, it was, all, it was all, everywhere.
1: It was everywhere. All basically, yeah.
2: yeah between call it was on
1: the tour where we went up through montana because that's why montana's in the lyrics but anyway it was it was everywhere it it seemed like everywhere we went Yeah. yeah Everywhere we went, there was just literally yeah. so blood and like, guts all over the freeway. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Just everywhere.
2: It's really.
1: And it was. I mean, it. You know, it's like it disturbing. happens two or three times, and you're like, whatever. <clears throat> it happens six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve times, and I'm like, what yeah. is this like slaughter <laughs> that is going on? <laughs> it's crazy. Um. So yeah. So that's where the the whole overall concept um came from. Blood and bones. There's a line in there about. Um, always being just a day behind, which was, you know, we were hitting all those towns like a week after college let out. Yeah, that was that tour. Um, That was the first time we'd tour into Montana, so Montana's in there. We always started and ended all of our tours in Reno, so Nevada's in there. Nice. Uh, But, yeah, basically it's just a song about, like, being on the road. Oh, and on that tour, we were in a torrential downpour. (laughs) And Mike was driving, and the driver's side windshield shield wiper flew off the car oh yeah it just flew it gone. flew off the van it was just gone yeah i've never seen anything like that happen and it was like it was he like, couldn't he was like driving my like, head, like, like, like yeah. with his head and the passenger side like with one arm to like try to get to the off ramp
2: yeah because i couldn't hang out the window because it was like <laughs> taking a shower it was like torrential it was and i was like so oh my god
1: thick. So there's also a line in the song um, about uh, like driving through the storm with one eye closed. Is about right. the windshield wiper like that, flying okay. off. The fan. Um, I'm glad to know that reference.
2: <laughs> that was a crazy. Was that the Desert Wind tour? I don't know. I don't even know, man. Yeah,
1: I'd have to go back and it, look at the picture. 2014,
2: maybe something like that. Yeah. 2016. That was yeah. That was. Yeah, wild. we went up, and
1: then we, that's when we played um, in Nor- in uh, North Dakota.
2: Or yeah, no, Fargo. Yeah. We played in Bismarck.
1: Bismarck. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Oh, my God. This sound guy's name was Whiskey Sam. Yep. That guy was insane. <laughs> yeah. He had done, in the best way, insane in the best way. Yeah. In the oh, best yeah. way. Um, that was another one of those, like, I mean, maybe there oh, were...
2: Oh, that just popped up in my memories. Oh,
1: yeah. Maybe yesterday. 20 people were there. Maybe. And it was this huge restaurant. But this guy had, like, done so much research on us. He was, like, he was himself, like, a like a crazy fan so he had us coming through like these cr- like stacks of speakers. Oh, wow! Like he just basically cranked us as loud as we could go. And we had an open bar tab all night, which was a bad idea. Yeah. That literally
2: but just popped up yesterday, seven years ago. Yep. Wow. So yeah. to 2014 yeah. Yeah. to the date. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there it well, is. cheers. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And that
2: song was born. Yeah. Reno. Reno is really like we love Reno so much. Yeah, I mean,
4: Reno's our home away from home. Yeah, First another
2: day. amazing town with a uh, music scene. Oh, my God. Yeah. Tons yeah. of great, great artists. Um, and that's also where we recorded our last record, Tectonic, mm-hmm. um, at uh, Dogtown Studios. Dogwater. Dogwater, rather, <laughs> Studios. <laughs> Sorry. Um,
1: All the same. Magic. No, Dogtown is long. in
2: Venice. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, so very special because Reno is like the gateway to the yeah. country from San Francisco yeah so we would like if we would do a loop it would be like Reno and then we'd, we'd go up and then go all the way north down 90 come back around and then eventually hit Reno again so yep. it's like always the first and last show of our tour uh, which was always great it. and they knew and it they too knew it, and yeah. they <laughs>
4: would,
1: they'd go out of their way it was great it was always a that great party so yeah um
2: awesome. yeah and then uh yeah and this is another great song I, I love to play live it's really good um it's usually one we it's play a, toward the end of the set yeah.
1: because it's a we it's a crowd pleaser. <laughs> yeah, it seems to be
2: a crowd favorite. So awesome. we have um a video for that. We may do some different kinds of things with. Yeah. Maybe you know it's just a single. It's not on any record or anything.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Oh, but you can get it on our Bandcamp.
2: Yeah, it's on that's our Bandcamp. That's it, actually
0: what I was going to ask yeah, you next. So, I mean. where could we find you?
1: <laughs> oh, uh, well, sickkittysit.com, dot com. Obviously, <laughs> um, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> just search Sick Kitty Sit. Band, So it, Honestly, yeah, if you just put band us camp, in you, put us on Google. it Soundcloud. Pop up mm-hmm. all over the band place. Bandcamp,
2: Soundcloud, Apple Music, Spotify. Yeah. I mean.
1: Yeah, most of our like all of our merch. Like, if you want T-shirts, if you want to download singles or albums, if you want you know coffee cups or any of that stuff, that's all on Bandcamp um again yeah, luckily
2: when you pop us in google like we are the first things that pop up and so, there's so like,
1: much of us it's a
0: little weird You know what i mean
2: yeah, so like awesome. the, the name is unique enough to where
0: for sure you yeah. just pop
2: it in and you'll find whatever you need to find so. yeah that's great. um we got a new single coming out
1: oh we're on youtube also i forgot about and it. <laughs> yeah youtube for sure <laughs> yep
2: um and we do uh,
1: very we very we try to do very dark and a little bit Like our videos, we kind of go out of our way to make them a little extra odd so you never quite know what's coming. I love it. So if you want, and we did make a playlist on our YouTube channel. That's just all of our official music videos if you just want to, you know, burn some time away from work and watch some weirdness. Find a YouTube channel. Yeah. Awesome.
4: Mm
2: -hmm. Great. So yeah, July uh, is slated for our next single slash video. And then our next show is June 18th at Fox River House in Appleton. Awesome. uh, At 8 Mm -hmm. p.m. And then, Wisconsin Music Ventures show possibly the week after. Yeah, we're gonna. got that. Check that out. Yeah. (laughs) So, lots of good stuff coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, Starting to ramp back into the normal normalcy, some sort. Slowly but surely. So we're yeah excited to start playing out again live. Me too. But this has been awesome. Thank you. Thank
0: you. you. I'm so glad that you found us and you know yeah this Mm -hmm. has been great. I'm looking forward to seeing where you all go. So uh, so Cat Downs and Mike Thompson of Sick Kitty said thanks for being here today. Thank you. Thank
2: you so much.
4: Bye. So we are pieces
0: of. We are grateful for the support of our patron Stephen Alakara of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Thanks so much for all your help. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you'll leave ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening from. Visit themusiciansventure.com for more information on upcoming guests, show notes, and ways to send us your topic suggestions. The Musicians Venture podcast is hosted by Allison M., recorded at Podcast Town in Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, produced by Shannon Coulard, with theme music written and performed by Mike Newmeyer. Thanks again.